Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. Just going with the gold medals! Mesdames et messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today? I am still alive. That's I didn't drown. right. We didn't drown. Nobody went in the drink. Nobody went in the drink, which is good because we don't want to go in the Charles River at no. this time. <laughs> lovely as it is to look at, the Charles is not a river to swim in, sadly. No. But we did go rowing with Tessa Gobo. Tessa won a gold medal at the 2016 Rio Olympics in the eight-woman rowing competition. Her run-up to the Games took 10 years, starting in high school, and then she joined the crew team at Brown University, which uh, earned an NCAA championship during her time there. And then after college, she joined the national team and eventually made the crew that won the U.S.'s third straight gold in the sport. Recently, Tessa and her husband, Hank, took us out rowing. Take a listen to our expedition. So we are erging first. Yes. Okay, this is the indoor rowing machine. It'll tell you how fast you're going and stuff like that. Okay. So I'm just gonna demonstrate really quick and then you guys will take a turn getting on. This is the catch. This is the most unstable part of rowing, but we're going to be out in boats that it's going to be really hard to flip, so don't worry about it. You want your sort of shins to be parallel, and then this is the drive, okay? So, this so you're is pushing with your feet, basically. Yes. Okay. And this is when the blade's in the water. Okay. So then you sort of tap down. So sort of legs, body arms, which okay. like is the easiest way of doing it. Okay. And then arms, body, legs. And then this is the finish. Arms, body, legs. All right. It's a big cycle. It's a big cycle. Okay. Don't look okay. at me. This is your idea. <laughs> Who wants to go first? I'll go first. You're going right. first. This is your idea. Do you warm up on these things? 
So we do a lot, each country's different, but we do okay. a lot of training. I did a lot of training on this. And we'd spend about, I don't know, a, very, a, a, lot of ch a lot of time. So you'll warm up on this, and then you'll also just train on it. It's like a fitness tool. I did the one in my gym a few weeks ago. It has yeah. games. I'm like, oh, it's got games on it. Yep, you can play the fish game. Excited. Yeah, I didn't play the fish game. I sucked. We did it. <laughs> I, I'm not good at the fish game either. <laughs> that makes you feel better. Okay, so you want to pull into your sort of your bra band. That's what I tell people. Okay. And then your arms away, and then your body over, and then yep, that's perfect. Different Oops. countries do different things. Different countries train different ways. The bike's also really effective. So yeah, just keep thinking legs, body, arms. So are you out on the water all year? Like when the US team is training? Each quadrennial is a little different, so each four years, and I was only in there for four years. But we would go to California for, I guess it was three months. So we were able to go be on the water pretty much until December in New Jersey where we lived for most of the year. And then we go to San Diego for three months and train at the Olympic Training Center. Okay. So that was really cool too. I didn't like it so much. I kind of like being in one place, but some people really like it. Okay, so say it again. Arms up, yep. You want to keep it sort of like at the same pace right here. And then you're going to push off with your legs while kind of keeping your body stiff. Yep. And the arms relaxed. Yep. So arms, body, legs. Legs, body, arms. So you uh, got your arms in there a little early. So arms away, yep. Now legs, body, arms. And the whole idea is that you're sort of hanging your weight, right? So you're just sort of like hanging off of the water and like leveraging the boat forward. So if you're like physics people, your blades go in the water and then your body moves, but the blades don't move. So and you're like moving the boat forward. Good. Now, do your elbows go out or down? Just leave them hanging straight. As you draw them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kind of. Because so, it could be here or here. Yeah, yeah chicken wings. Like, kind of there. Kind of there. Is fine. Okay. Yeah. You don't want to be like. You don't want to be like ten centimeters older, right? But just kind of natural. So thinking is hard. Yeah, but it'll like it's all about practice, like with anything. So it's like you're certainly not thinking about it as much later on. Like in theory, I should be thinking about my technique all the time, but it's a lot of thinking. So this is like you're gonna get in a boat and do a very similar movement, but you're gonna have blades, so it's just gonna feel completely different. <laughs> You're just going to be like, oh my god, one more thing to think about. So that's the very basic, basic erg indoor rowing situation. So this is how a lot of rowers, there's like a couple different ways you can get on the scene for sure and like sort of prove where you stand. Mm -hmm. This is probably the easiest way to do it. Just in terms of like, this is how powerful I am. Like. You can teach me how to row later, and then like whether or not you can teach everybody to row is a different thing. You're, it's like becoming popular in CrossFit. I don't know. Oh, I yeah, don't really yeah. do CrossFit, but this machine shows up a lot. So like we're getting rowing starting to get people that are very good at CrossFit, and then oh, like it's like oh so that's how like this is how good I am. You can teach me how to row later. So for like all of high school and probably half of college, and I guess some people would say even after college, I couldn't row very well. But I was very like Powerful. strong. 
So that's definitely how I did it. Other people, and especially like slightly smaller people, like mm -hmm. you're not really going to find many rowers that are under 5'10 at the Olympic level or national team level, will do smaller boats. So those are like the, this is a tubby over here, but the thinner boats are like the racing shells. Right. And they'll race in those and sort of prove themselves through racing. I would argue when you start rowing, one of the most important things to do is keep your oars together like okay. this and your hands on the oars. Yes, that's the <laughs> other thing. Sometimes. Oh, because if they slip out, you can't really grab them. And also, like, sometimes your instinct when you tip is to, like, hold on to the side of the boat. Okay. And that's not going to help you. So if you guys keep your hands on the oars, like, the oars aren't going to necessarily go anywhere, but okay. if you, like, go, the boat's going to lose a lot of stability, oh, okay. right? So. Okay. In theory, right, you, when you go up to the catch, you're going to come up here. Nope, that's the finish. You're going to come up here, and then you're going to feather your blades. You're going to okay. stick it in. You're gonna drive, and then you're gonna pull out your blade and mm -hmm. lay it on the water like that. Okay. So you can All take right. off your shoes. I mean, you can even leave them on if you want. So I just get your butt down low, early and onto the seat. Okay. Yep. And it's like you don't really need. Okay, you're not on the seat yet. So you're gonna wanna pull yourself up. So put your hands back on the gunnels, which I know is the opposite of what I told you. This? Yep. Oh, sorry, yep, that's the gunnels. Oh, I see. And where now I... you're on the seat. Oh, wait, I'm up, man. Yeah. I'm like fly, fly. Wow, so, it's like I feel like I'm on a little throne. The other thing is you wanna put your hands all the way on the blue part. Okay. And then push against, yep. Okay, so you're in it. I'm in a boat. You're in a boat. I'll walk you down. So now, Put your hands up. Great. So that's what's going to feel the most stable. Okay. okay. So you're going to want to just sort of sit on the top of the okay. water for much. Okay. And then if you want to go ahead and take a stroke. So you got to, yep. Hey! Good. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> Remember that legs back arms. This is tippy. <laughs> I'm gonna pull you back in. Okay. You guys did a super crash course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like this would usually take to get to this point. This is day like four or five with our novices. We did it like 40 seconds. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. did it. So like, yeah, this is you're on a super fast learning curve. <laughs> it's a little freaky. Okay, so move your hands back up a little bit and try and just think about being on the erg. Right, so you come up to the catch and then you put your blades in. So you gotta feather them, yep, or square them up. And then, yep, good. Think about trying to press from your legs for as long as you can with your arms straight. Okay, so drive your legs and keep your arms straight out in front of you for as long as you can. Right. No, I was just trying, I was watching the oars. So the, the oars don't have a turn, that's your hands turning. Yeah. Yes, you turn them with your hands and you can sort of feel them click into place usually. But in all honesty, you might be thinking about so much that you don't feel it right away. If you wanted to, you could just leave them straight up. But I feel like when I first like was learning, the stablest place was feeling like your oars are on the water. Sorry. That's okay. Okay. Ready to go again? Yeah. Okay, cool. 
I feel really short. Try and keep your hands on the blue part at all times. All times. Press, press the words. So like, yeah. Okay. Good. Ah, okay. I'm so gonna turn just a little bit. Okay. Okay. Be free. Be free. Like a bird. There you go. This Get is, in there. You know, it's hard to keep them like even. I mean, Although I'm we don't, no, you don't want to go for it. That's true. We do have sound. You have to keep the <laughs> yeah. oars like shoved into the side yeah. of the, the oar handles, yeah, the oar sound. holes. We'll call, yeah. we'll call it the sound. Is it easier on an eight when you only have one oar to deal with? I, that's how I learned, but I think many people would say that learning like this, this is, is easier. Oh, but the thing about this is that you are doing everything. Yeah. So all of the movements and like adjustments that you make mm -hmm. are going to be immediate mm -hmm. and you can tell. Oh, okay. The thing with an eight is that you could be doing anything. Yeah. Really? And it would get a little hidden. Okay. You're like getting some speed with it. Yeah. Keeping everything coordinated <laughs> seems really hard. And I do feel like I need to be about six inches taller. I do. I feel like I need to be about six inches taller to, to like get a good leg press. Yeah. Okay, so how do you decide if you're a right or a left oar? Like Somebody hands you an oar, and then that's your side. Oh, there's, there's, there's no yeah. science behind it? I got handed an oar. Yeah. <laughs> I think in high school, I started rowing when I was 15. In high school, I was a sport. And then um, I could do both sides. And in college, I could a little bit too. But by the time college was over, I was really only on starboard side. I think it's really interesting how your body develops too. You like very much end up on one side. And like I would have like a, a five pack as I was like rowing because I was just used to going like this. So the whole boat is mic'd up so yeah. you can hear. And sometimes they'll be like under the seats. Okay. But that one's just like. Out and about. What seat were you? You were four or five. I was five. Four or five. Which is was quite nice. I what? liked. I liked where I was. I mean, at the end of the day, like you're in a boat and it's great. Yeah. You just want to be there. But then there are certain parts of the boat where people feel more comfortable. The further back you go, mm -hmm. the more likely you are to get splashed. Okay. Um, which was not my favorite thing. And then seven seat, I rode in France the year before which turned out fine mm -hmm. but i was just like i felt like i had the pressure to really be longer and translate my stroke seat to who was behind me okay and she was an incredible rower from princeton she actually also from new hampshire and she just like was six three and had like the perfect length uh -huh. so i was like okay i gotta keep that length in seven seat we're in five seat and three seat where i've also been a lot i'm just like let's Let's keep this moving. Let's keep this power on it. And then I was never really in bow. And those are one and two, three. Those are one and two. Um, three seat, I was in a lot. Five seat, I was in a lot. One and two, I feel like, I mean, everybody needs to know how to row. Mm -hmm. I think it's a little more important that you're like very stable and a really good technical rower in one and two. And okay. that was never the name of my game, you know? Okay. <laughs> it was just sort of like, <laughs> let's do it. What, what was, oh, oh yeah. Like, that's why. <laughs> no, you have people that are very, okay. So here's the thing about the Americans. I think, and Hank said this once when I was talking with him and I was like really down about my technique. And he's like, 
Nobody really looks at the American boat and are like, wow, they like just look so beautiful. They row so pretty. Like, I just want to be in that boat and it's going to feel good. You like look at that boat and you're like, that's a very strong set of women and they're going to play to their strengths, mm -hmm. which is strength and not so much like really good rowing. Like we're good, <laughs> but we power through. So who's the pretty boat? I would say New Zealand. Do you think Great Britain? Great Britain. Oh my God, when they got their, after their silver, silver medal, like all the boats like came into the medal ceremony and then had to row back out and their boat gets back in the boat and it's just like flopping around. We were tired. We were all, everybody, <laughs> everybody was tired, yeah. And the great the British aid, they all are like waving to the fans and stuff as they're rowing perfectly balanced with like one arm. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's Wait, not... Maybe if they were all wiped out, they wouldn't have gotten a silver. <laughs> I'm sure they were tired. They also came out of nowhere, right? Oh, really? Like at the okay. end of the four year cycle, we were, everybody was like not worried about them. And then we got to the year of like the, the summer of, and we're like, what happened? You know, like we were supposed to win gold, but the two crews that came in second and third, mm -hmm. like we're they were not favorited, but yeah, they, Great Britain was very, very good. New yeah. also New, I think New Zealand rose very well and they row in small boats a lot. So yeah. the early morning is the is the thing. I mean, yes. For mo it's okay. early morning or the evening, right? Like I definitely adjusted to rowing in the mornings after college, but my college team mainly rowed in the afternoon. But most places you're rowing in the morning because the water's best, and also because of classes and stuff. But when we were training, we'd get up, we'd row. I'm a huge sleeper, so I would go nap for like two hours, and I'd rush home to like get to my nap, and then. We'd go and row again and then maybe lift. So it was definitely a two a day. I've heard some countries will do the majority of their rowing in the morning and then bike in the afternoon. But in all honesty, I don't want to like say it was very self-centered, but I like was putting all of my energy towards figuring out what I could do and I wasn't really worried about like what other things were happening and like what other countries were doing because ultimately it is there's like no defense in rowing so it's like even if I know what they're doing you just got to sort of trust what my coach had us doing and he's he was an incredible coach still is you might even say you have to trust the process you did it Yay. all right okay so you said I have to my socks no you can do whatever you want okay good as you get in like fancier boats, they're gonna have shoes in them. So just because everybody's feet have been in them, you're gonna wanna wear socks. But this this guy's fine. Okay. So, so is it easier to put your feet in first yeah, or your butt? I would step here. Okay. And then sit down, yeah. And a lot of it depends on how like flexible you are too. Flexible I can do. You were very you did that very nimbly. <laughs> Okay, you don't really have to, but you can do that, Ooh. which I did. Am I on? You're on. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to push you out and you're going to do your thing. Yeah, you're going to do your thing like I have a thing. <laughs> and then you put your blades in. You got one in. So press, press the left. Press outward. So you see, on, really quick, you see how the uh, the collar on the oar isn't pressed against that gate? Yeah, you want both of those to be pressed okay. against the gate. There you go. And I'm now, thinking too much. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just relax. 
Now put those blades in. So, yep, and push with your legs. There you go. Who says, yeah, there you go. Like, I'm moving at all. You are. I don't know which hand to put on top. Oh, that's a good point. Left over right. So the other thing to think about is, and this is like a little advanced, but you've got your oars pretty high up. So what you want to do is like, you put your, you put your oars in, right? You think like you're 16 and you have a beer in your hands and you slide it across the table and then you just put it just under the table because your parents came in the room. You don't want to like wave it around because then they'll know you did something wrong. So you just slide it, tap it down and put it under. Key to the key good to good rowing. rowing is my high school. My high school coach taught me that. Good amount, so I'm like, I'm thinking kayak rowing, you know, but yeah, kayak boring, which is obviously extremely different. You're facing the, the opposite. That's brain. really bothering me that I'm moving backwards. We were talking about this last night. Okay, so I need to think lower. And I feel, I agree with you, Jill. I feel really short. Like I yeah, I feel like I yeah, fit I, in the boat. So right now, stick your arms up, like straight out in front of you. Right? Okay. Right? And you can don't even don't be afraid to even let the hands come out like that. You're going like around a pin, right? Both oars are going around a pin, so it's an arc, not like a straight line. Okay. So don't be afraid to have the hands come out, hands like that. It's gonna lengthen you out a lot. And you want to push against, push out. There it is. I think a lot. the opposite of my problem. I never thought at all. You just did? I just did, which is like not really great when you're trying to teach somebody how to row. So how did you know when you were good? Oh, I knew from the erg. So when I was in a high school and they put me on and they have like the distance that you do for the most part when you, like when you race, you do 2Ks in the, in the spring season and at the Olympics. In the fall, there's longer distances. And so they put you on and they're like, do a 2K. And then they can tell from that score where you stand compared to other people in the country. So I got on, I did a good, got a good score, like went pretty fast my freshman year. And my high school coach called up my mom and was like, we might have something here, but we're gonna try and prevent Tessa from knowing that for as long as possible. Oh, wow. So, so you had no clue? I mean, I knew that I was better than the other people I rode with, but they did a great job of like keeping me kind of humble. I was in high school, I was a very sore loser, so I had to like figure out that aspect and just like grow up a fair bit. And then like by the time I finished high school, I was pretty clearly gonna row in college okay. and probably probably one of the top recruits of my year. Okay, so. okay. Did you get scholarships? It depends where you go. So the Ivy Leagues don't do scholarships. Okay. And I think if I had like really, I wouldn't change anything I've done, but when I think about how much college costs now working at one, I was like, how did I not? Like I could have gone someplace and gotten a scholarship, but instead I was like, I want to be close to home. I want to win the NCAAs and Brown had the best record, so. And it was like two and a half hours from where I grew up. So, but yeah. And you won the NCAA. Yes, my sophomore year we won the team trophy and I was 
so excited. Yeah. That was also, I had a, there's a woman who rode, she's a, a bit older than me and we overlapped with training some. I'm not sure if we ever actually raced in the same boat. And she went to Princeton and she was like, one of the most important things to me was when she won the NCAAs at Princeton. And I was like, that's silly, you have a gold medal. And then looking back at it, when I think of some of my best rowing memories, it was in college at the NCAAs. Oh, yeah. And I think it's like, cause you have that set four years. It's very team oriented. Whereas when you get to the national team level, it's still team oriented and you want the best for your country, but it's a lot more competitive okay. in terms of trying to get in that boat. When you get to the national level, do they just, are they pulling eight people and trying to figure out how they work together are you all working together at the same time um we definitely are all training and working out together at the same time with our system each country is different and as like the years go on it's different but for the most part most countries everybody lives together and trains together all the time so there was like about 30 of us and then the traveling team would get picked out of that 30 group and then you'd go to california longer maybe if you were doing well and we'd have like 25 people in california and even that's changed since i was there and so they would pick out of that group so it's hard because you're training together all the time and you know how much work everybody's putting in every single day and then they'll pick out of that group. So you're competing to get picked into the travel team group. And then suddenly a month before a race or even two weeks before a race, you're like, okay, we're a team now. So you kind of always have to be a team, but you also have to get on to that travel team. Okay. So. I think it, it depends who you have there, right? So I think the four years that I was there, it was a pretty chill group that really all all wanted the best for the country. I think depending on what personality types you have, that can change. When you're in a boat, what, can you feel a difference with your team depending on who's, it, um, who's in there? Like I that team a, magic or yeah, 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 I could in a four and a pair. I think in an eight, you can just tell if it's strong or not. Um, you can definitely hide stuff in an eight, which is why when you talk about rowing pretty, it's like great that GB could be that pretty. But at the end of the day, it, you gotta be really strong in an eight. A pair is the toughest boat. I like, I still think, like I love Hank. I'm so happy we're married. I'm like all about my life partner. But when I think about one of my most functioning relationships, it was with my pair partner for two years, okay. Tracy, who's still rowing and incredible. But I was like, we were eight, like, we had to work through some stuff, yeah. so. Now, try taking some strokes and then when you finish off the stroke, That's the other part of it. Your, your wrists feel like they're in a very weird position. Oh, okay. You're feathering. Oh, yeah, I can't do it because I forgot what it is. That's like. okay. So remember, the top of the... So you're going to rotate... When you're coming oh. up to square, rotate the top of the blade. So, there. When your coxswain is, like, when they, when they say to take the stroke up, how do you know how that? 
Well, I guess erg machine, you learn how to... Yeah, you definitely learn... Stroke rate. Yeah, you learn to um, hit the stroke rate. When, it, when we're racing, mm -hmm. it, it's just like you go and you hit it. Okay. And you like do your start sequence and everybody's like, every crew is different, like quarter slide, quarter slide, half slide. So that's like a little bit advanced. And then that's all about getting the rate up. Okay. And then you kind of hit your stride. The stroke rate comes with power, for okay. sure, which is why interesting when you watch lightweight, lightweight rowing, because they're all the same size and the power then is like about the same, it's like almost who can get the stroke rate higher, who can get more strokes in. But yeah, so when I think about getting the stroke rate up, I'm like, I gotta get more pressure on my legs and then I gotta get around okay. faster. Okay. But the greatest thing about eights is that you just do what the person in front of you is doing. Okay. And because I was never in stroke seat, I like, even like sitting on the line at Rio, I was like, just do what Moose does. Like the woman in front of me, I'm like, if you do what she does, you'll be fine. Whereas we all would get a stroke rate up together at the same time, I'm just like doing what she does. Okay. So I don't know how Amanda, who's actually the youngest in the boat, she's probably three months younger than I was and still is, she was our stroke seat and she just like, just, went and did it and like vomited at the end you know like she was she was really quite a good rower and still is i'm talking in the past tense because i'm not rowing anymore but like a lot of these people are still rowing what made you decide to stop um a lot of stuff i think i was pretty i miss it i miss it more now being two years out but I was pretty burnt out by the end, I think. I wanted to move to Boston and live with Hank and get married. I was also really worried about the transition out of rowing, um, and I kind of wanted to do that when I was younger rather than when I was a little bit older. I think physically my body could have done another four years. I think mentally I was really, I was pretty done. How long were training We would be training about three hours in the morning total like from like get there to leave maybe three and a half um, and then I'd go home I'd eat really quick and I'd sleep for two hours I think of all of my teammates I, I slept the most which I just think is like an interesting thing and then I'd wake up and we'd go back and we'd probably train for another two hours and then you'd lift on at the end okay so that was kind of how it worked that was kind of how training worked for us. There would be a couple of days of the week where they'd smush it kind of to be all, to sort of be done by noon or one. So, and then Sundays, some sometimes we'd hop off, sometimes we'd do like long steady state. So that's meant to be like kind of chill, get some volume in. Um, so that was sort of how my training training worked when I was there. I didn't die. You didn't die. You, you didn't fall it. in. I didn't fall in. I was, I was thinking really hard though. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a lot to coordinate. It is. And they always make it look so simple. Like it's such yeah, a no. it's not a natural movement at all. There's a lot of hours behind that. <laughs> yeah, there's just it it looks so natural like you would think there would be more flow to it. No, but that whole like Think of the cycle of your body has to make and then switch your hands or flip your wrists so that the I, I, oars are, you know, you got to coordinate that oar. I was having a lot of trouble which hand went on top. That makes sense. Yeah. It's that all, hard. again, if you guys, even if you were to do this two more times, stuff like that, you'd be like, okay, I'm not going to think so much about that anymore. It's just going to happen. 
We did this all very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> we believe in crash courses. Yeah, this was all very quick. Should we grab a double? We can grab a double. We can put you and Bao and one of them in the stern. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Alright. I love these boats. Instructable. So this is not a tubby. I can tell you. This that. is yeah, this is not a tubby. Oh, and there are shoes in there for you. Yep, these are yeah, you're this is I don't want to say a real boat, because like all the boats are real, but like... <laughs> this is a more real boat. Yeah. You, I, I mean, do they glue those down or do they just leave them in so that people... Oh, yeah. You should like get in there and look around. Nothing's really glued. All of it is sort of done through nuts and bolts. You can move them forward or backward, depending on how tall or short you are. Okay. You can move them up and down. Oh, I see. Okay. I sure. think some coaches are like tinkerers you okay. know yeah, yeah there's a lot you can tinker with here there's really definitely okay, yeah, so the, the shoes are kind of planted in the boat yeah and they're kind okay. of grody um which is why, why, you, want why you have socks yeah <laughs> if i were had the brain capacity one of the things that i should have spent more time thinking about would have been rigging and sort of all that goes on here what are rowing shoes like or do you even tell because they're always just There's not in the like, boat. It's not like how you how your sneakers have cushions in them. Yeah. It's not like that for sure. It's very much a, the more cushioning you have, the more it can absorb stuff. Uh-huh. They're always like, you're always going to be able to get out of them easily. Okay. In case you do flip, that's what this is for. You just pull right up. You also have these things called heel ties in the back and a lot of rowers undo them while they're rowing. I never really worried about it so they could get a more bigger range of motion. But then um, when you're racing, they always check your heel ties because it's okay. like a safety thing. Oh, okay. Okay, I'm going to get in first. Okay. So you want to have them kind of flat. All right, this is not scary. Wait, okay, butt, seat. So you don't want to step in the bottom of the boat. Okay. I should have told you that sooner. Okay. Why not? Because that more tippy? Because your foot can go right through. Your foot? Oh, because this is really thin? Yeah. So the stablest part of the shell is sort of like... This middle Yeah. It's got. It's thing. almost got like a skeleton to it. Like okay. A human, okay. I guess. That's good to know. So... I here. should have told you sooner. I'm That's sorry. Okay. <laughs> Luckily, you're a relatively and gentle moving person. Okay, so I'm gonna, are you strapped in? Or strapped enough? Yeah, mine are undone too. I feel how short I am in these shoes because my feet will come right out of them. This is, I think this is a men's boat, oh, okay. uh, if that makes you feel any better. And they also just, the shoes will run larger. Because, okay, go ahead and try and take another strap. Okay. I was good! <laughs> Oh, and you gotta lean way back further on this thing. I tend to lean pretty far back. That's way too far back. You don't really? lean that far back. I feel like I can't get the boat. I can't get That's, the oars out. Oh, you're feeling like they get a little stuck? Okay. Think well, about that beer on the table. Okay. Well, like, I get about here, and I feel like I gotta go back further yeah. to get. Okay. For a sec, I'm gonna 
skier us just a little bit. The other thing I want you to think about, if you can look at my oar for a sec, is your oars are going pretty deep under the water. Uh -huh. You only need it to go like here. Oh, okay. That's it. Okay, be free. There you go. Okay, it's gonna feel, the water's gonna feel a little bumpy. pushing out and you feel like all of your movement should be forward. Yeah. Now we got some speed. Again, you you guys have done probably a month of progression in one day. Wow. In like an hour. Okay, I'm gonna have you way enough. Sorry, way enough means stop. Are there different types of oars for different? There are definitely different types of oars. Most people are using Crocker or Concept 2, which is the brand. There's a Tulip, which is sort of a circular blade, but I don't see those used that much. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna turn this around a little bit. You're a quick learner. Oh, thank you. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> it's it's Making this experience easier. Okay, good job, Jill. Thank you. I always I'm a notoriously slow talker just because like boats are so expensive. <laughs> How expensive are they? Hank would know better than I. This is a decent boat. Uh-huh. Maybe twenty thousand. Holy cow! Maybe 10,000? Somewhere between 10 and 20 for this guy, I bet. Wow! I think a single is probably about 8,000. But I also could be completely off mark. Okay. Hank, how much does a double cost? Like a high-end double? Yeah. Uh, like 20,000, 25. Okay. Wow, 20, 25. What about an eight? $60,000 for a boat. I gotta make more money. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> no rower's really making that much yeah, money. Right? What kind of stipend did you get? Did it's you get stipends from both U.S. Rowing and the USOC, or how does that work? Pretty much only U.S. Rowing. The USOC definitely, if you win, they get you some, some change. Yeah. So, you could start to make a living once you're in an eight, for sure. Okay. I mean, once you're like in the Olympic boats. Okay. You can get out if you want. And then, but like when you first start rowing, it, when you first start rowing, it's like exciting when you get healthcare, you know, from the team. So that's kind of how it works. And it also changes throughout the years, right? 
on how you're doing, which also makes it a little trickier. But yeah, it's definitely, it's doable once you've established yourself and if you're doing well on the team. And the other part is they're definitely, they're doing the best they can. So it's hard to like, I never really got it. Like I knew nobody's in it for the money. Right. We would row in Princeton, New Jersey, and there's a lot of great families there. Mm -hmm. So I lived with a family while I was there for three years. So that's when you first start out, they get you housing. And by the time I was done, if I wanted an apartment, I could do it. But like after three years, I was a part of that family and they were like very much my support system. So, and they're, it, it was just very lucky. Like Hank went and worked with the men's team for a little bit and volunteered and he like lived with that family. And was, oh wow. Oh, Hank's back in the basement. You did so good. Thank you. That was fun. You're getting some speed. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely were. You picked it up very fast. Yeah. Like you have to like you have to understand this getting to what we just did, like yeah. that progression if we had the time and we were like you were in this for the long haul, like I am gonna become a lifetime rower, we would have taken much longer to get to that point. Oh wow. So no, you watch like and learn. Thank you. Like I think my mom started rowing. And I guess she was 60, and she was in those tubbies for like two years. Oh, wow. So it's just like kind of... Did she, she start rowing because you were rowing? I think so. I think she definitely got introduced to it that way. I have a twin brother who also rowed um, at Bates. So we were both rowing, and she was at a lot of races. Okay. Right. Thanks, Coach Hank. Thank you, Coach. People don't like to work hard kind of like to... You have to be okay with the monotony of it, I yeah. think. Yeah. And I, not... You can't be obsessed with like individual stats. No. As much. I think the hardest yeah. part, not that it's not an inherently fun sport. Like a lot of the fun comes from winning, and a lot of that. I was explaining this to somebody that I play roller derby with. That, like, it sounds horrible, but the fun also is like knowing that you're ahead and you can see that you're ahead. Where in like running, you can't always tell. Like you know you're winning, you know you're doing okay, but you don't see the people behind you. Okay. So that's kind of fun. It's fun, yeah. And it's, it's nice. If you like the outdoors and you like the water, I think. Anybody can row, for sure. So when you guys were far enough ahead at, okay, so I was, we, I was watching your Rio race last night and you were behind, but that you're, was probably you're game behind plan. For a lot. Was that game plan? There was no game plan. The, the, game, the game plan is pretty much like get in front and stay in front. So, I, people, I think all athletes do some, some amount of self-talk. I think that people ask me, like, do you, just, do you just, like, go black when you're racing? And I think some people do, but others, like, do self-talk. And I think my way of dealing with situations like that when we're not winning and we're favorited is just to be like, third place is okay. You still get a medal. It's fine. And then, like, eventually we were, we were a strong crew. And it did happen where the coxswain, Kate, Caitlin said, we are the USA 8 or something like that. And then I think all of us sort of realized, like, we have more. We are a little faster than this. Like, we're a little bit anxious. And then we were able to pull ahead. Also, when you're a race strategy, 
when you are dealing with a crew that is expected to be the fastest, I think a lot of other crews are like, let's see if we can freak them out and just go as hard as we can in the beginning. And I think you see a lot of that at the Olympics especially. I think you see it sometimes at championship racing, but especially at the Olympics, when it's really all or nothing, you go out really hard in the beginning and hope that you can either freak out your competition or just hang on as long as possible. So I think that's why it wasn't until halfway through the race, even a little bit later, that we were able to be where we were. And then you could tell, you knew you were, you got the gold before you got the gold. Probably in the last 300, we all knew, but at the same time, it's not over till it's over. Like anything can happen. You'll see races where people catch a crab. So that'll be like when the oar gets stuck under the water and it'll just like fling you out. Like stuff, stuff happens. So I, I definitely, I wasn't like we have gold until it was over. But you can see everybody's behind you. Yes. But also I think I struggled. At, and again, everybody's different. I think I struggled with really having to like shut off my emotions to get through that time period and to get through selection. So it really wasn't until probably September that I was able to like really accept what had happened and appreciate all of the situations and be really excited. So it took, it took me a really long time and I don't think it's like that for everybody, but I was just like, Hank and I got in the taxi after the eight to go see my parents and I was like to go see my family and I was just like I should be happier like I should be more excited but I just didn't have it in me so it took a while but didn't sink in exactly wow let's see we have some like listener Jacqueline sent us enough questions for her own interview <laughs> she was really excited favorite warm-up drill favorite warm-up drill yeah do you have a favorite like what do you did you have a routine my favorite warm-up drill. I would definitely erg for a good chunk of time beforehand. I liked to be a little bit tired by the time we raced. I liked to have really felt like I'd found my rhythm in the warm-up in order to try and hit it again later. So I definitely would take some hard strokes, like like 30 strokes or so if not more. But also, the great thing about being an eight is that I didn't really have to worry about it so much. I just did what I was told to do, <laughs> so. What about food, your pre-meal? Pre um, what did you eat before, what did you have after? I would always be a little too nervous on race day, so I would try and eat a lot the night before. I'd definitely eat a lot of carbs. And then in the morning, I'd eat probably some oatmeal, a little bit of protein. I think protein is probably the mo one of the most important things for rowers and women athletes is to just make sure you're getting a lot of protein throughout the day and the right amount of protein, not too much or too little. But it was probably my second year on the team I got a nutritionist, and that really changed the way that I eat. I ate. In college, I got away with a lot of bad eating habits. <laughs> I'd like eat a bag of Oreos and have a couple glass of milk and call it dinner. <laughs> so that, the eating progression was big for me. Sorry. Did you get like a lot of, once you hit the, the national or national stage, was it like, here's make sure this is how you eat? We always had sort of the freedom to eat what we wanted to eat. I think all of us realized that fueling your body was a pretty serious thing you had to do, so I had to give up my Oreo habit. So yeah, where we went, we didn't have specific things we had to eat, we, we knew enough. I think it was really helpful to get that education from the nutritionist, like this is what you need. 
to eat. So. But you can ignore it. I still, I try not to, because I'm not working out the same amount, but yes, I love Oreos. <laughs> so that's what we eat for Tessa Govo Day. Yeah, because we were going to ask, how do you, Tessa Govo Day is coming up. Tessa Govo Day is coming up. That was a very, just, very sweet thing that New Hampshire did. They gave me a day. September 9th, I think. Um, so yeah, Tessa Govo Day is coming up. I will celebrate with Oreos and a nap. I'm very excited. I like that. Uh, yeah, no. I like, just yeah. celebrate. I would like everybody to do that, yeah. How was processing at Rio? Let's talk about Rio for a little bit. Like, like, like when you go in, you get your swag. That's what, that's what we want to know about. So I made the boat. There's a lot. I was not prepared. I had prepared myself so much for not making the boat that making the boat I hadn't prepared myself for and the media that goes with it. So I really struggled with that mainly because it happened during nap time and I would have rather been napping than like I just wasn't ready for it. So processing felt like a lot of that but it was also very cool. So you get taught sort of the social media aspect, you get taught like don't wear the flag like a cape, you know, stuff like that which of course everybody goes out the window once you win, right? Because yeah. you forget, you're so excited. You learn to like really try and you learn a bit about the country, you learn a bit about Olympics, you learn about Rio a little bit and then they give you this, this sheet of paper and it's sort of like you go through the stations. You go through the Ralph Lauren station, which is a huge station. You go through Nike, which is a huge station. And they really, Nike like really did it up. And they give you all this gear and you get to sort of pick your gear. And depending on like what kind of style you have, you can change it for the men's gear. They did, it's not, I can't imagine it's easy to fit athletes because Everybody that comes through that station is either really little, really big, like you don't have sort of the average size person unless you have, I don't know, a shooter or an archer. It's definitely a struggle to fit all those athletes, I bet. And they like, you walk into your fitting room and they have like your name there and they like figured, they really know how to make you feel special. They did, Nike did a great job. And then you also have sunglasses, you get the ring, so there's like a jeweler there and you go and they, you pick out the ring you want and whether you want to, how you, like, you can sort of pay up a little to get a nicer ring, you can not, everybody gets a ring though. And then you get watches and you have like, you leave with these two huge duffel bags of just stuff. So, and I thought, I thought I was gonna be like, <laughs> It was so appealing at the beginning, all of that swag, but by the time you get there, it has, you've, you've just put in so much that it's just, it's not as exciting as it was. The idea of it was not, like it's still really exciting, don't get me wrong, it's so nice that they do all that for the athletes, but at the beginning you're like, I gotta do it to get that really cool sweatshirt, and then by the time you're there, you're like, I, I put everything in for other reasons, but it was really, they did a great job taking care of their athletes. Everybody did. In America, in Rio, everybody did the best they could to take care of the athletes. So, how was how was the village? The village was so I sort of you see it from two different perspectives, right? Like that village got put up real quick, and when we were there before racing, you are you are only in your room. Like it's very regimented. You're always together with your boatmates, and we were really careful about the water. But the next week, we weren't, and everybody was fine. <laughs> like, so I think they really, the village really did the best they could. I think, but it's a lot of athletes. It's a lot to prepare for. Hank had the idea when we were talking a while ago about just like having maybe four home bases for the Olympics. So that way, like, 
the oh, same place would get yeah used over and over again because I don't know what's happened to that village now. So I don't think it's it's great. But yeah, it was definitely livable. It was a nice place to be. So was it cold? Because it was winter. It was not cold. It was not cold. Okay. It was not. It was probably not much different than it was is now. So interesting. Anything else? All right. Oh, well, thank you. Oh, my God, Tessa, you are the awesomest. <laughs> thank you for... Awesome. Yes, thank you, Hank. Yeah, you made thank this happen. You. Thank you. That was really cool, and you really... You, really good. You picked it up very, very quickly, and... Okay. You were, I don't want to, I don't want this to come off wrong, but like that boat was moving with strength that I wasn't expecting. So oh, like wow. when you did get your blade in, you were very connected and I was like, oh, Jill's got some power. It's so, your gold metal butt, I'm telling you. It is. You. I believe it. Big, big I believe it. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tessa and Hank, for taking the time to teach us some rowing basics. And I want to give another shout out to Mark Gillespie out at Whiskey Cast for microphone advice, which I really appreciated on this one because I had no idea how to get us all mic'd up when we were on a boat. So if you love all things whiskey, check out his show at whiskeycast.com. This was pretty amazing, I have to say. Okay, so first... You were so much better than I was. <laughs> you really had some flow. I was terrible. Just my body is so not made for rowing in any way, shape, or form. Second, I think Tessa may be my favorite Olympian that we've interviewed. Really? She was so lovely and just wonderful. And Hank was fantastic. And they were so interesting and articulate and so much fun. And for me, the best part of the whole day, besides hearing all the stories, was I got to be the Al Uberksen and go on the launch with him. <laughs> and I'm like, I feel like I'm the coach now. That was the best part of the whole day. Better than getting to hold the medal? Um, okay, not close. Okay. Close. That medal was pretty fabulous. And I love how she's like, oh, here, yeah, it, I just carry it around with me. It's fine. Right, right. Oh, gosh. So I got to say, uh, Allison, you posted a video up on our Facebook page. So, you know, go find our Facebook page at Olin Fever and check that out. I keep watching that video and seeing where I could improve. And now I want to get back on the boat. Because I look at me rowing and I look at her rowing and I see, like, how smooth her stroke is, how her blade is just a little bit above the water and how it's all even. And and I realize she's got like years and years of experience on me, but I, I tell you, I could get better. You were very natural in the boat. You had a natural flow. You know, it was not natural getting in and out of the boat. I will tell you see that. <laughs> see, I had no trouble with that. Tessa was laughing at me because she's like, oh, you got to be really flexible to get in and out of the boat. And I'm like, yeah, you got that in spades. I I was like, flexible, I will do. Yeah, so she was funny. She's like, oh, you got in the boat, great. And I'm like, yeah, but now I don't know what to do with my thumbs. <laughs> yeah, because I missed in, in the tubby boat, because first we did what they call tubbies, and they are much bigger boats, and they're like plastic, I would say. Right? Yes. Okay. So they're they're more indestructible, 
and they're ideally for beginners because you were will like the you're not as prone to tipping right. so you get in the boat just fine i get in the boat i miss the seat i can't find the seat i finally get my butt there get out we go and and later they pull out a real boat for whoever wants to to try it so i get in the boat with tessa and i step in and she immediately goes uh yeah don't step on the bottom you got to step in the middle because the bottom and you can feel it totally feel it well a okay first you're in your socks because the shoes are already in the boat they are attached so you are sharing well i guess it would be your shoes but if you were using just random boat in your clubhouse you know you are sharing shoes with whoever has put their feet in that it's like going bowling on the water it is it is like going bowling on the water so i step in the bottom of the boat and you feel how thin that skin is yes and and she's like yeah don't don't do that because you could put your foot right through it so yeah i didn't hear that conversation because oh, that's when you guys oh, were yeah. right in the boat yeah, yeah. and we and were, that's and like, and that's, we were know, getting on the that, launch that boat's five figures i did not want to put my foot through that because then you know the the thing was don't fall in suddenly got out of my brain don't put your foot through the boat got into my brain and what did i do getting out of the boat stepped right it's on the bottom again like a moron. Yeah. And those racing shells, what surprised me was, okay, first of all, the actual shell was so, so narrow and so long. Yeah, right? I don't know why. I mean, if you've got to fit eight very tall people in this shell, it's got to be long. They were mm-hmm. huge. And then the, so, the front and the back are also, I don't know, what you the fore and the aft, maybe? Nose and the whatever, the rear? Now Dale. you're just showing off. I don't know. I'm not showing off. I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> but the front and the back also had to be majorly long, too, because the boat is so narrow that you need the length to balance it. Yes. But they were beautiful. And Hank and Tessa were just so incredibly generous oh they were oh my gosh it was fantastic and it was really peaceful being out there on the water with the the being in the the shell and you see the the pointing out in front of you and you just look ahead and you see river and it's it's really cool it could have been because it was six o'clock in the morning maybe and you know at six o'clock in the morning only really insane people are up <laughs> so that's my maybe why it was so peaceful but no yeah i could have stayed on that launch for a while yeah i like that that was pretty fun i do well one of the other cool things was that we got to hear a team go out and practice and i got to hear did you hear the coxswain yes start talking they he started talking to the team and telling them what they were going to do and and it's really cool because they they're just talking on like a wireless mic thing and you hear it kind of booming out the sides of the boat cuz they have they, micro they have, they have speakers. speakers yes so at that every, everybody at every seat was it or every yeah, other seat yeah so you can hear what's going on and hear what you need to do amazing so no pounding on the bottom of the boat no like not from, anymore from the boys in the boat yeah but it's it's a little more high tech. Little yes. But that was great. Exactly. So Tessa, you are fabulous. We adore you. What's her roller derby name? Her roller derby name is Lactus Monster. I love it. I love it. <laughs> she's just she's fantastic. So that was a lot of fun. It was all, and you know what we get to celebrate coming up? Tessa Gobo Day. Because, oh yes. That's right, yes. because in New Hampshire 
they set up a day for her to celebrate after the Olympics, but it shows up on my, my league's roller derby calendar that September 9th is Tessa Gobo Day this Which year. It should be celebrated home. with Oreos and a nap. And a nap. That's what Tessa said. That, <laughs> that Tessa Gobo Day should be celebrated with Oreos and a nap. And I am all over that. I, and it's on a Sunday this year. So what better what better day of the week to have Oreos and a nap than Sunday? Oh, so make it perfect. a good one. We are going to celebrate with you. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this week. I know. I'm feeling all good and happy now. I know. That was so much fun. It was so much fun. So and I didn't drown. <laughs> We're going to have to find another Olympian who's crazy enough to take us out and show us their sport. Yeah. We'll work on that. If you are an Olympian who would like to show us your sport, email us at info at olympfever.com. We can make something happen. We would love to learn how you do what it is you do so well. And share it with we our, won't do it well. No, and share it with our listeners. Oh, and I gotta say, okay, besides thank you, uh, like, I cannot say thank you enough to Ben, who juggled all these wireless mics and managed the levels and the sound for several hours while we, sh- while we taped. But also thank you to listener Jacqueline for, like, the, the multitude of questions. We couldn't even ask them all, and they were great. So we appreciate Jack- uh, Jacqueline. We appreciate all your interest in the sport and hopefully Tessa came through and answered some of your questions. It just makes me feel it makes me feel golden inside. No. <laughs> well, you know, doesn't it make you happy that somebody so wonderful has a gold medal? Oh yeah, right? I was I thinking know. about that on the drive home. I'm like, I am so happy that not only that people like Tessa exist in, in my world now, mm-hmm. but that she got that. And she got to experience that. Yeah, it is nice. It is nice to see. They're not all Ryan Lochte peeing in the pool. Right. And I wish NBC would tell more of those stories. Right. And less of that. Right. We had, last week we talked about judo and how little attention that receives in this country. Right. And rowing only gets so much attention. I think the boys in the boat helped put that a little more in the conversation because people are still reading that book, like us. Yep. But it, it, they only do, it only does so much. So being able to enjoy and celebrate with them is a lot nicer, and we need more of that in our lives, I think. I think so, too. All right. Well, let's end on, on that happy note. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody, and we will catch you back here next week with more Olympic tales. And in the meantime, keep the flame alive. We love to hear from you. Email us at info at olimfever.com or leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. You can also interact with us on social. We're Fever on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. Be free! Like a bird!